Hello, welcome to Hope Church Harrogate's Message of the Week. If you'd like to connect with us, please head over to hopeharrogate.co.uk forward slash connect. We'd love to hear from you. Right, my name is Rachel Turner. Um, last week, I don't, I was going to send a photo and then I forgot, but just, I always like starting with a story. Uh, so two weeks ago, uh, I was ministering for three days in Denmark and then five days in Finland. And uh, yeah, it was really fun. It was very Scandinavian. And uh, in Denmark, I discovered a new, I did not discover this. They have a thing that I've never seen before, and I don't have a picture of it, so you're going to have to go on a little journey with me. So I'm at a food van, and I look up, and it looks like cow udders. There is dangling from the ceiling like four jugs, and out of them are dangling long things. And as these people were making hamburgers, they would just reach their hands up and squeeze whichever one they wanted to squeeze, and out would come ketchup and emmerdale and mustard. And I was like, what is that? And they're like, oh, well, how do you, you know, I'm like, well, we do it the old-fashioned way where you have to like pick one up and then fumble with it and then turn it over. And they're like, oh, no. They just pick it up and they just go squeeze, squeeze, squeeze. I said, it looks like cow udders. And the entire 20 people around me went, it does? And we all sort of looked at it and they thought, I'll I'll never see it the same again. <laughs> but it was amazing. It was like genius slash very disturbing. And I love the, I, it's so, it was so useful. It was amazing. So next time you're having a picnic and you're like, how do we get everyone ketchup and mayo and flip it upside down, put them in little squeezy tubes and uh, dangle them from the ceiling. And it is genius. It was amazing. That was just a little sharing. Um, so, right. Uh, I love family mornings. Family mornings are really nice. Uh, so, uh, today I am finishing the First John uh, preaching series, and uh, I read the passage, and um, this is how I tend to read the Bible. I don't know how you read the Bible, but I tend to read the Bible until something bothers me, or something pokes me. You know, you're sort of reading, and then you're like, hmm, hmm, that makes me think again. And so I was, um, I was reading this, and as I was reading this passage over and over again, I knew the passage that a good Christian would preach on, you know, the encouraging, inspiring section. But this one sentence kept bugging me, and so I spent more time delving into it. And so I kind of want to share the stuff that bugs me about this passage and sort of what God and I ended up having a conversation about. So uh, if you want to join me uh, in 1 John 5, feel free. You can do it on your phone. You can do it in your Bible. I didn't make it on the screen for you. I apologize. Um, I was busy. Um, right. I came back from Finland with COVID. So, you know, I've been COVIDing. Uh, right. I also came back with lots of licorice. So it's like six one, half dozen of the other. Uh, right. So uh, this is First John. Last week, Adam was preaching about salvation and how we know it's true and it's so good. And so then we come into First John 5, 13. And uh, he goes on with this. And so this is the, the beginning of the passage. He's saying, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. 
And I'm like, yeah, I'm going to preach on that. And then I read the next sentence. If you see any brother or sister commit a sin that does not lead to death, you should pray and God would give him life. And that started to bug me because I love how like God is like, this passage is like, you can ask for anything. You can approach Jesus and ask for anything. And so what you need to do next is pray for your brother who is sinning. And I was like, that is not my normal go-to when we're talking about like, you know, approaching confidently the throne with prayer. Normally I approach and I go, God, give me an amazing job. You know, I approach with selfishness boldly and confidently. And that appears to be something that is not God's first moment. And I began to really chew this over because my reflection on how I deal with family members' sin is quite avoidant. Now, this is what I love about having a family morning, is I think we love coming together and worshiping, being very holy, morning, 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 everybody, hello, morning. We know we're supposed to love each other. And then we sort of ignore that other people may potentially not be perfect. Uh, and we just ignore it. It's not a thing. And some of us who have had journeys in church respond to it very differently because there's a really unrealistic expectation we sometimes have of each other. You're a Christian. Therefore, you fully and completely inhabit and exude God and Jesus at all times. And then when you happen to have some sort of imperfection or sin, we're shocked we're stunned. Um, I know some people who reject church completely because people are hypocrites. They're not completely and totally living what it says in the Bible. Of course they're not. None of us are perfect. And yet there's a hesitance to address it as a community because, one, we sort of expect that everyone's going to be better than they actually are, and then we're like so sad and disappointed in you. Or we hit into judgment levels. We're like, oh my goodness, did you see that person? Or I heard you hear this story about this other person. And we switch into judgment, which we know we're not supposed to do. So then we just whoosh, get back in our lane because we're not supposed to be judgy. Uh, and we stay forward. And I find that very disconnecting because we end up putting walls between us and saying, I'm in my little bubble and you're in your little bubble. And I expect you to be better than you are and you're not. So, hmm. um, and I'm going to be here in my little bubble and we're going to live in little bubbles and we're all going to worship together. And I think there's something really significant. If we don't learn how to be imperfect next to each other, then we end up just being individuals who attend a church and go home. Does that make sense? And I find that really hard because whenever you talk about someone else's sin, I instantly go to one of my favorite Jesus passages in Matthew, which cracks me up. Um, when Jesus is uh, talking about stop, you know, not blaming each other and pointing fingers at each other. And Jesus always comes up with the best analogies. And uh, it's when he was saying, uh, don't judge other people and you won't be judged. And most of my motivation in dealing with other people is selfish. So like, great, I'm not going to judge you, but you don't judge me, right? Like we've got a mutual agreement that we're all going to ignore each other's stuff. Um, and then he does this great thing about why do you notice the little speck of dust that's in your, you know, in your brother's eye, but you don't notice the huge plank of wood that's in your own eye. Why do you say to your brother, hey, let me get that little piece of dust out of your eye. Look at yourself first. You still have that huge piece of wood in your own eye. First, 
And then it says, you are a hypocrite. First take the wood out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to take the dust out of your brother's eye. Jesus was like, don't bother with other people's stuff. It's not your job to fix other people's sin. You, there's a phrase in America, you worry about yourself. You, you, your job is to worry about your own sin, not worry about other people's sin. And we've been like, great, it's none of my business. And so we've sort of moved into our own little bubble. But then this passage comes up, and that bugs me. Because that means I have to respond to the imperfection in other people. I'm called to do something about it. I'm not called to judge. I'm not called to be sad. I'm not called to be smug. I'm called to do something about it, though, which draws me into a level of community that I find slightly uncomfortable. And I also find it slightly uncomfortable that you might be doing this thing. And so I wanted to look at it because there's so much in this book about the living as a disciple and living as a family of God and living as a community. And if this is important to put it in, I think we should talk about it. Um, I forgot to start my alarm, you guys. How long do we think I've been talking for? Five minutes? Fine. That's all. I'll set my 15 minute alarm. There we go. Okay. We're safe now, everybody. We're safe. Okay. Um, I feel like sometimes our sense of judgment of each other, our sense of each other's sin comes out of this, um, our current culture of before and after. Like, I don't know about you. Have anyone seen 10 Years Younger television program? Yes. Where they take someone and they're like, wow, you look old, which is like super judgy. And then they're like, let me change everything about the outside of you. And then they're like, wow, you look good now. Um, and it's awful. Um, but what happens then is they then put it on Facebook and they cut out all of the journey. So then they're just like, here on Facebook or Instagram is a minute of, oh, they look bad. Now they look amazing. And we've become really conditioned to this before and after thing, weight loss things. We want to see the pictures before and after. I want to know who you were before and I want to know how amazing you are after. And something in our culture has then created us to do that with Christians and each other. Before you were sinful. Now you're perfect. Hurrah! And then when we find out that our spouses, friends, colleagues, people who are also Christians still sometimes have sin in their life, we're like, oh, that is, oh, I feel lied to. Your after is not your after. And we feel, um, I don't know if it's let down or... There is a sense of, of shock that people might still sin. There's a sense of uh, disappointment that they're not as good as we hoped they would be. And I think that sense of um, judgment disconnects us. We've got to get over the before and then now you're perfect. We've got to acknowledge that we are this community of people who get to walk together, who get to run alongside each other, who get to be family together as we get closer and closer to being the fullness of who Jesus has created us to be. And therefore, I don't expect you to be perfect. I expect you to be working on things. And I really need you to know that I am still working on things and I am imperfect. And I don't just need you to isolate yourself from me and go, well, she's not perfect. She's not worth anything. But I need you to say is I see you on your journey and I celebrate your progress and I'm going to pray for you. And do you see when we have that attitude towards each other, our sin is not dis disconnection. It's something to cheer someone on to accomplish and move on. Does that make sense? Okay. I wasn't sure how to describe it, so I hope that's good. Um, 
There is, is something beautiful about that. Um, and this isn't about big sin. Like, you know, how we respond often to, to big I mean, all sin's the same, but, you know, we sort of see these, oh, did you hear the church leader that has had an affair and crippled the church? That's huge. And we try to cope with that. This is the little stuff. This is the people you live with who um, become unkind and selfish after very tiredness. Like, it's the, it's the very detailed um, pieces of everyday ordinary life that we are called to walk with each other. That's where I find the sin pops up. It's the selfishness when you're tired. It's the gossiping at the end of a long day. It's the ordinary refining of ordinary life that we are moving on. And God says, don't disconnect from each other. Don't get judgy and point out to each other where you're wrong. Don't say, look, you're sinful. Don't say, look, you need to work on this in your own life. Uh, he says, pray. And that's a challenge because our instant prayer is, God, make them different. Lord, take them on a makeover. Uh, snatch that sin of unkindness from their life. Uh, and that's not how he teaches us to pray. And so I want to just go over how he teaches us to pray because that we will be in friendships where we're dealing with someone who has bitterness in their life. And we're like, how is that trapping you? We will be dealing with people who will... Um, reach unkindness or will speak without thinking, who will um, who will be intense judgment of other people. And you're like, what is going on with you? And we will be around things that make us feel uncomfortable. And we either disconnect from those people or we connect. And this is how we connect. So the first thing is that we pray from a heart of love, not judgment. Uh, in a couple of, well, one chapter before, they go into this huge thing. John's all about love. He's the love disciple. And, uh, and he goes, dear friends, let us, I can't say love without going love. Dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. You know, and he just goes on and on and on. Since God so loved us, we ought to love each other. Um, and it goes just intense. Love, 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 love. That is the basis for how we are called to see each other through this huge lens of love. If I look at your sin from my sinful eyes, I see fault and failing. If I look at you through a lens of God's love and cherishing of you, then I see someone who I want to cheer on and encourage and bless and take care of because you are a valued child of the living God and I want to pray for you. And that pivot is really significant in our families. Um, I've learned, um, I've been in some pretty intense situations with other Christians and there was a, a, a colleague of mine who was really um, deceitful and dishonest also loved Jesus amazingly, fantastic preacher. Like, you know, this was this is not the entire personality. The sin is not the fullness of this person. Um, but this colleague I had, had this aspect that I was really struggling with. And God, and I was like, I don't know how to deal with this, God. Like, I do not know how to deal with this. And, uh, and God said, who? And I said his name. He said, oh, my beloved child. And I was like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> yes, maybe I should stop calling him in my head the guy who just can't tell the truth. Maybe I should, maybe I should see him as your beloved child. And I thought at that time I, I, I had my kid and I remember thinking, what if I loved him as much as I loved my child? 
what would I actually pray for this individual? And that radically changed how I began to pray. Because then I started going, God, I don't know what's going on with this person, but they must be afraid or insecure or, or something. And so, God, I pray that you would bring them security. I pray that they would hear your voice. I pray that you would bless them. I pray that you would bless their marriage. And I just became this interceder for this child of the living God who was struggling with something and was trapped in some sort of sin. And I don't know what it was, and it's none of my business, but I can pray for the flourishing of the individual because the will of the Lord is that this person is free from all sin. Can you see how when you look through the, love, the lens of love, how you pray changes? You are no longer someone who is not perfect. You are a beloved child of God who loves you more than I could ever love my kid. And I love my kid a lot. And the fact that God loves that person more than I could ever physically, emotionally love the person that, came, that I have in my family is stunning to me. And how, do, how does he expect me to treat this person? How does he expect me to intercede? I want to see that person as a child of the living God. And that changes how I pray for people. Um, I think there's something about developing that heart of love that we, that we know. Um, the second thing that I wanted to say is that we pray from a heart of love. And the second thing is we pray from a heart of confidence in God's will for this person. That verse um, that is before about walking up with confidence to the throne and, and praying, we, I'm going to read it again, verse um, 14, 1 John 5. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. I need to pray for what God's will is for this person's life, not what my selfish will is for how that will benefit me. Uh, because sometimes in relationships and friendships and marriages, we're like, oh, God, improve this part of their sinning life so that my life can be better. <laughs> uh, and my selfishness kicks in. Uh, and I pray from the selfishness of my view of that person. But actually, what is, what is God's will for that person's life? to be free from sin, to be connected to him, to be living a purposeful and powerful life of the kingdom, to be loved. There is loads that we know from scripture that is God's will for people's lives. And when we pray with that, we can pray with confidence that God will move. I don't want to pray, I don't want to pray for God to control someone. I want God I want to pray for God to bless someone. And there is something so significant about that. So when we see that come, then we position ourselves and go, I see you through the lens of love, whether it's our children, whether it's our parents, uh, whether it's our colleagues, wh whether it's the people in this room. When we, when we rub up against someone who is still on the journey of growing to become more like Christ, like we all are, we can either disconnect and sit in judgment or we can engage and say, God, show me who they are according to your eyes. Fill me with love for this person. What is your will for this person's life? God, I pray that you would free them from lies they believe. God, I pray that you would bring them what you have promised them. I pray that you would surround them with family, that they may not feel alone. And we begin to intercede and we begin to walk according to God's will, praying for this person that they may become more like Christ every day. I'm then invested in your journey, and I want to create space for your journey. I have grace for your journey. Uh, that doesn't mean that we don't set boundaries if that person is toxic. That's, I'm not saying that. I'm saying we position our hearts to have the heart of Christ for someone, and it begins to change us, and it begins to change them.
And that is so important. And the third thing I just wanted to say is that I think it does something for our community when we begin to commit ourselves to boldly pray for each other in each other's weaknesses and failings, not just for your successes. Because when I pray for someone else's weaknesses, I have grace for them. But it also means that I begin to trust in the grace that other people have for me. And that is transformative because I'm busy performing that I'm, you know, great. And actually to know that you guys see me and you see that I'm imperfect and that rather than sitting there and judging me and disconnecting from me, you in your heart, you hold me in your heart, you bring me to God and you celebrate what he is doing in my life. And that brings me a confidence and community that I find really unusual in the world. We spend most of our life thinking, how can I control how people see me? And here I can say, I'm imperfect and I know it and you know it and I trust in your grace with me and I trust in your love for me and I trust in your prayer for me. And that particularly in this church is something that we deeply value is grace for each other and grace and love for each other. And I find that so confidence building to know that I don't have to perform perfection. I just have to be on my journey. I, um, I recently saw someone, you know, when you see someone from like a really long time ago and I was like, whoa. So 20 years ago, I was my barely new in leadership and uh, I was in charge. And when, when you're new to leadership, sometimes you're slightly power hungry uh, or maybe just misuse the power you've been given. And so uh, I was in charge of quite a big thing, several thousand people. And uh, I was doing something and I had some of my team and, and how I dealt with conflict then was not the slightly more mature way I handle it now. Although there are, there are elders in this room who are like, just wait 40 years. Uh, so I know I have much to grow in, but back then, you know, and, uh, and I don't, I don't think I handled it badly. I would handle it differently now. And I randomly ran into this person who I had this conflict with and I was just so convicted. And I just came up to this person. And I'm like, I just want to say like, I was really naive and young then, and I feel like I made some huge mistakes in how I honored you and loved you and took care of you in that process. And I just want to say, I'm sorry. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I've reflected on it, and I really think that I've responded really badly and defensively. And we had this amazing conversation of that. And, um, and we began to just talk about it and laugh about it and talk about our journeys of how we healed from that. And I thought, I could just spend eternity with this person and we got to learn to love each other through this stuff and see each other grow and celebrate and delight. And he was like, you know, I've actually been to some of the stuff you've led and listened to your leadership seminars. And it's just so great to hear that. And, and I just thought this is a beautiful, lifelong, eternity long journey that we get to do with each other is see each other grow and see each other change and see each other become more like Christ. And we don't get this opportunity in heaven. In heaven, I don't get to be gracious with your sin. In heaven, I don't get to pray for you as you grow through getting free from this stuff. Because in heaven, we won't be dealing with constant sin and dealing, we won't be doing that. This is our only opportunity to get to build community in this way. And that is a joy and a blessing to, um, to know that. And so I just wanted to, um, I guess, say that as a family this morning. Um, it was, I knew it was going to be a short sermon, but I just, I feel like sometimes we don't talk about what it means to be family here. And when you're with a family, you are stuck with imperfect people for a very long time. And you grow and you sharpen and you love each other through it. And, um, and here, 
I want it to be a place where we are all loved and we know we don't have to perform for each other, but we can be running our race and we can be on our journey. And we know and trust that I am going to look at you through the lens of love and I'm going to pray for you as you grow into more like Christ. And I really need you to do that for me um, because we all want to see the fullness of life in Christ. Um, that's my be quiet alarm. Um, so can I just pray for us? Um, I love that. Um, I love that Jesus gives us this, that he's not just like, run your race alone, good luck. Uh, but he's like, you're going to run your race next to other people. They're not perfect, but you won't feel alone. And, uh, and I love that he commands us to look sideways and take care of each other in that journey. So um, let me just pray for us. God, I thank you that we can approach you with confidence about all things, that we can walk straight up to you and ask you, knowing the heart of you, and know that as we speak what is on your heart, you are already doing it. And God, I thank you that we don't have to do this journey alone, that when we become your child, we get brothers and sisters, imperfect brothers and sisters. <laughs> who will journey alongside of us, who will run alongside of us, who will hand us things that we may run with, who will set paces for us that we can follow, who will be gracious with our sin and mistakes, and who will pray for us and intercede for us, who will um, bring us to you, that they will intercede for everything that's on your heart for us, that we may walk free from sin and free from worry and be more and more like you. God, I pray that you would forgive us for where we have allowed judgment and disconnection in our hearts from each other, where we have seen each other's sin as entertainment, or we have seen each other's sin as something to make us feel better and more superior. I pray that you would forgive us for where we have seen each other's failings as anything less than a a grief and a pain that has to be compassioned. I pray that you would wipe us clean and create a clean heart in us. God, I pray that you would give us your eyes that we may see each other through the lens of love, that we may see each other as the beloved children of the living God that you love them more than we possibly could ever love anyone else, and that we may treat each other with that kind of compassion, value, preciousness, and value that, um, that you have for them. Teach us to pray, God, that we may support and encourage those who are walking their particular journeys with you. And I pray that you would make us bold in your grace, that you know us and you forgive us and you love us and you are growing us every day. I thank you that you don't need us um, to be completely um, perfect at this moment, that you are sanctifying us and growing us every day. And God, I pray that you make us bold to accept the grace and love of others, that you would help us drop the defensiveness, the expectation that others will be judging us and disconnecting from us and, and looking down on us, but that we may embrace being um, seen and valued and loved as, as imperfect and yet valued members of this community. Teach us how to be one, that the world may know 
that we may be a community that is different than anything out there, that we would be known by our love for each other and for you. In Jesus' name, amen.